may be seated. Today's scripture lesson comes from John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, which is in page 109 of your Pew Bible. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God. Jesus says to each one of us this morning, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Would you pray with me? God, we invite the spirit of truth to fill this place this morning because we need your truth to overcome all of the lies that we believe about ourselves, about others, about life, and even about you. Lord, we, we pray that you'll give us the courage this morning and the grace to allow you to do something unexpected in our lives. May we open our hearts and our minds to you for transformation. Help us to leave this place differently than we were when we came into it. Give us, each one individually, ears to hear what you are saying to us. In the name of the living Jesus who dwells among us, we pray. Amen. Of course, in John chapter 14, we are with Jesus, we are hearing from Jesus on the night before his betrayal, the night of his betrayal, the night before the crucifixion. In John's gospel, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 is what Jesus said, what Jesus prayed on that evening before the crucifixion. And of course, he began his remarks that night in the midst of the heaviness of that spirit by saying to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms, mansions, dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you where I am. Jesus began his discourse with that as he talks on in chapter 14. He introduces his closest followers to the paraclete. I didn't say parakeet, I said paraclete. The paraclete is an important Greek word in the New Testament, and we have a hard time even knowing how to translate it. Some translations translate the word paraclete as advocate 
or helper. It literally means the one who comes alongside of us when we need help. And that's why Jesus says in these words on this night, I will not leave you orphaned, but I will come again into your lives as the paraclete. I will come into your life as the advocate, as the helper, the Holy Spirit of Jesus living within us. And yes, it's on this same night that Jesus looks at those closest followers because Jesus knows what's going to happen later that night and the next day. And Jesus says to them, peace I leave with you. Isn't that an, isn't that an amazing bequest? Peace I leave with you my peace I give to you, Jesus says. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is giving us his peace. Jesus is telling us that it's not the same peace that the world tries to offer us. And Jesus is telling us that the world cannot take this peace away from us. But friend, you and I can destroy this peace in our lives. The world might not be able to take it away from us, but we can rid ourselves of the peace that Jesus is giving to us here and the peace that he seeks to give to us. One of the greatest destroyers of the peace of Jesus Christ in our lives is our unrealistic expectations. We need, if we're serious about keeping the peace that Jesus gave us, we need, we need to work on that expectation gap in our lives. We all have an expectation gap in our lives. That is the gap between what we expect of each other and the world and circumstances and God and reality. That's the expectation gap. And we need to work on our expectation gap because unrealistic expectations is one of the greatest destroyers of peace. Actually, it's even one of the greatest destroyers of something as simple as happiness. But we have those expectations. I want to talk about a few examples of those unrealistic expectations that destroy our peace, even take away our happiness. You can call these unrealistic expectation lies that we believe. And we're finishing a sermon series this morning on the lies we believe. And we all have these lies because people that we have loved have ingrained these lies in us. The world around us ha has ingrained these lies within us, and they're all based on unrealistic expectations. And sometimes we, we live with these unrealistic expectations, and even if we mentally know they're unrealistic expectations, sometimes we still keep holding on to them, and we wonder where our peace has gone, where our happiness has gone. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a couple examples about unrealistic expectations about life. One is this. One of the lies we believe about life is this. Life should never change. Now, we know better. If we have a conversation, we know better. But when the change happens, the shock that we evidence shows that we really don't 
believe that. We, we think life should never change. We don't want life to ever change. And we try to live as if life will never change. And we get really frustrated and angry when something changes around us. I remember when I went to my first congregation, I learned an important lesson. Before I went there, I, I found myself saying something that is not completely wise. I would say something like this. By the way, if you say this on a regular basis, you don't have to confess it to me. But I would find myself saying something like, well, don't just change for the sake of change. My first church taught me differently. We need to change so that we remember how to do it. We need to change to make sure we keep that skill up in our lives. We need to change just for the sake of change sometimes because it's so easy to get in our ruts and we expect life to never change. Certainly that's not realistic, but we start living that way so that when change comes, we don't quite know how to do it. And we receive it as if it's something completely unusual in life. The only thing besides God that is constant in our life is change. We need to walk around each day just repeating these two words, adapt, adjust, adapt, adjust, adapt, adjust. Because we don't do well with this. We have this lie ingrained in our mind that says life shouldn't change, life might not even change, and then I'm shocked when it happens. I saw a poster one time said that blessed, blessed are the flexible, they shall bend and not break. Some of the people who break aren't able to bend because they've lost their sense of flexibility. They don't know how to adapt and adjust, adjust and adapt. We live with this lie that says there's a possibility that nothing will change. At least for maybe decades, nothing will change. And that is a lie. That's an unrealistic expectation. And that's why when we keep getting confronted with that, expect, with, without, with that expectation not being met, yeah, we get frustrated. We get angry. So that certainly is a lie that we have ingrained in our minds that things should never change or things won't change. We should get up every morning expecting change. And learning how to live with it. I've said several times, I'm sure I've said it from this pulpit, I've learned over the years that life, I love life, life is wonderful, it's a gift from God, but life is all about enduring a series of losses. From the time you lost your mother's womb till the time you let go of your health and life in this world and step to the other side, life is a series of losses. That doesn't mean we like that, we don't feel good about that, but we should at least acknowledge that. We shouldn't have unrealistic expectations that nothing's going to change. I try to wake up every morning just thinking, well, wonder what will change today. And I try to remind myself I've got to adjust, adapt, adapt, adjust. Because I want to be flexible enough to bend but not break in this life. So that is an unrealistic expectation. That's a lie we believe. Let me give you another one about life. And this one is so prevalent in our culture. It is the unrealistic expectation or the lie that says, I can have it all. I can have it all. Sometimes we want it all by this time next week. 
And perhaps the younger among us have a greater danger giving into this unrealistic expectation than those of us who have lived for a while, but we, we really cannot have it all. We have to make choices. One of my favorite authors today, and I commend him to you if I haven't already, is Carl Truman, spelled, interestingly enough, T-R-U-E-M-A-N, Carl Truman. He's written remarkably, he's an academic, he's written remarkably on this strange new culture we've created, on this strange new understanding of what the self means. And, and he's, a, he's, he's a historian. He, he's, he, read a, he wrote a thick book talking about how we got to this modern self that is so bizarre. But I, I, I don't really commend his big, thick academic book to you. But his publisher got a hold of him and said, put it you know, in very understandable, entertaining language. And he created about a 200-page book entitled This Strange New World. And he paints a beautiful, succinct picture as to how we got to this place. There are things that are different from any of our forefathers, foremothers before us. And actually, Tammy and I heard him speak recently where he even summarized his summary in that book, the, this, strange, this Strange New World. He summarized really all of his academic work by saying this, the reason things are so different today, people are so different, this new self that we want to create, that we that we are endeared to is different from anything that's ever gone before us in human history. And he says, because of three things. People in this age, we, 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 we don't believe in obligations anymore. We don't, you know, we don't want anybody harshing our buzz. We don't want anybody putting demands on us. So we, we really don't believe in obligations except what we want. So obligations, loyalty, duty, all of that stuff has gone out the window. We, we're a culture now where the self that we esteem so highly doesn't believe in obligations. Secondly, he said the self that has kind of has cramped in this era doesn't believe that you and I have a purpose that is given to us. What is the chief end of men and women, the old catechism said? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. God has created us. God has been audacious enough to give us our purpose for living. Our purpose for living is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And by the way, we enjoy him forever by glorifying him forever. So this culture does not like anybody outside themselves giving them a purpose our forefathers and foremothers will never understand that. And lastly, this culture around us, the self we created and we nurture in this culture does not like limitations unless we impose them on ourselves somehow. We think we can have it all. And we really can't have it all. Let me give you a couple illustrations of that. I love Philippians 4.13. I know a lot of you love Philippians 4.13. I see that verse on Facebook a lot. Many of you could quote it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what does the all things there mean? I'll promise you, friends, if I climb up to the top of this tower and jump, I can quote Philippians 4.13 all the way down. And I will not break the law of gravity. I will break myself against the law of gravity. 
So even Paul realizes, I'm sure, when he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, what he said is, what he means, he assumes you know this, I can do all things that God in Christ has called and equipped me to do. Yeah, we can do all things he calls us to do. We can do all things he equips us to do. We can't do all things. You know, let me give you another example. We have choices. We have to make choices. We have to make choices throughout life. Psychologists tell us we make 3,000 choices a day. Some of them are important, some not so important. We have to make those choices in light of our limitations. Let me give you another example. You know, I hear tell, my family's been in North Carolina since the 1740s. I'm fond of North Carolina. I hear tell up north, it gets cold. There's lots of snow. I actually went and researched the coldest city on record for their average in the continental United States is um, Grand Fork, North Dakota. I'd be moving out of there, but obviously somebody wants to live there. Now, let's say I moved to Grand Fork, North Dakota, and I don't, want, I don't like that kind of weather, but let me say I moved to that city. I could put on a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and stand on a street corner in, in Grand Fork, North Dakota in January and protest winter all I wanted to. But I'm going to get cold. We can't have it all. We can't do it all. We have to make choices. And, and I'm grateful we have the Word of God that helps us make choices. But sometimes in this culture, we think we can have it all. And sometimes we think we can have it all by this time next week. I see people who get married, and they want everything their parents have after 50 years of marriage in the first year of their marriage. We want microwave success, microwave marriage. Sometimes we want microwave spirituality without making the appropriate choices and putting the needed time into it. So there's just two false, unhealthy, unrealistic expectations about life or lies that many of us believe. But we even have some unrealistic expectations about God. Let me finish by talking about the unrealistic expectations that we have about God. And these are prevalent. It was several years ago that um, Philip Yancey wrote a famous book called Disappointment with God. And it was influential on many of us. I still commend it to you. It's still in print. He wrote that book, Disappointment with God. If, if, if you've never suffered disappointment with God, maybe you've not lived long enough with God or closely enough with God. But that book will help you deal with disappointment. Oftentimes, again, the disappointment with God comes because of unrealistic expectations of God. One of the things he wrote in that book was this. And this revolutionized many of us 30 years ago. We tend to think life should be fair because God is fair. But God is not life. Hold on to that one a moment. God is not life. Sin, flesh, the devil, irritating other human beings in the world that irritate us, is at play in the world. So everything that happens to us is not God. Everything that happens to us in the world is not God. Don't confuse God with life. Don't confuse life with God. God has 
God has told us life has fallen, creation has fallen, our bodies are fallen, our spirits are fallen. The kingdom hasn't come yet, the best I can tell looking around. The kingdom hasn't come yet, so we don't need to have unrealistic expectations. We still have to deal with sin, flesh, the devil, and, and those irritating people in our lives. Don't confuse God with life and life with God. Life is terribly broken, but that's what we're told to expect in the Bible. We're going to a day when we don't have to deal with that anymore. So just a few faults, expectations about God. One, God's love is to be earned. I used to see this in all those silly cartoons where someone's standing at the pearly gates of heaven and they're usually talking to St. Peter and almost always the conversation has to do with what that person should have done, would have done, or has to say, or should be able to um, write down. It all has to do with what that person has to do to get into heaven. And I'm sure the people who create those cartoons and sometimes hold more closely to the theology of the, those cartoons sing Amazing Grace and then forget it after they sing it. We don't have to earn God's grace. Friends, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make God love you more than God loves you right now. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you less than God loves you right now. God's love is complete, unconditional, eternal. You, you can't earn. We can't earn the love of God. It's all about the glory of the gospel. That's what the glory of the gospel is. You can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you less. He loves us as he loves us in Jesus Christ. That's the glory of the gospel. I am so distressed in this culture by the way we have tarnished the word evangelical. Don't ever listen to the news media use that word. The word evangelical just comes from the Greek word for gospel. It just means you're a gospel person. If you go throughout most of the rest of planet Earth, Christians are divided into two groups, Catholics and Evangelicals. Evangelical just means you're a Protestant. You're a gospel person. You focus on that. Now, I know that's not how the term is used on the evening news, but we're people of the gospel. And that gospel we need to focus on. That's why we need to be evangelical. Focus on that gospel and make sure that in all of our thinking, we never forget there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or than God loves us right now or love us less than God loves us right now. That, we know that. That's what it means to believe in the gospel. So we don't have to earn God's love. But sometimes people think they do. Another unrealistic expectation or another lie that we believe is God is mean and vindictive. God is mean and vindictive. I, I, I really have a hard time knowing where people get that. If they're reading the same Bible I'm reading, I think sometimes people get the idea that God is mean and vindictive because when we're growing up, oftentimes it's our earthly parents, it's our earthly father that gives us the image of what we begin to think the heavenly father is like. So maybe if your earthly father was mean and vindictive, you start transposing that onto God. If your earthly father was, was never available to you, maybe you start transposing that on God. But God is not mean or vindictive. He is your greatest cheerleader. He, wants, he really does want your best life now and to come. 
For God so loved the world, the world, the world that he gave. He gave the best he could give, his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. God is not mean or vindictive. He's our greatest cheerleader. He wants us to have our best life in this world and the world to come. Another lie about God that gets believed, particularly in the Christian church in this age, in the West, is that God ignores our disobedience. Well, God's not mean or vindictive, but God doesn't ignore our disobedience. Any of you that are parents or have been parents, you know that love has both a tender and a hard side. God's love has both a tender and a hard side because he wants the best for us. So God doesn't just ignore our disobedience. That, that, that would be a very cheap grace. And oftentimes... We think in this culture, in the church culture, grace for many people in this culture, in the church, is just simply God letting us off the hook, God turning the other way, God ignoring our disobedience. That's not grace. That's indulgence. Grace in the Bible is pretty clear. Grace is the gift of God's empowering self to us. That redeems us. That delivers us. That brings us into a life of salvation. That helps us grow in Christ. That helps us change, be healed, transform. So grace is God's empowering presence. And that means a great deal. So grace is not just God letting us off the hook, not paying any attention, not having any standards. That's what Bonhoeffer, the great Christian martyr, called cheap grace. You know, love has to have a hard side and a tender side. Have I told you about my granddaughters lately? Uh, I know your grandchildren are wonderful, mine are better. <laughs> you know, being a grandparent is a wonderful stage of life, and, and I'm glad I'm not the parent. I make that caveat. I'm the grandparent, which is why I got to see my two granddaughters yesterday, and um, it took the mother coming over who finally told me to stop feeding my granddaughters Cheetos and ice cream before supper. I'm a grandfather. I, you know, my, my, my love for them, I'm not the parent. I just tend to have that tender, indulgent side. Well, I'm glad God's not like that with us. You know, God's more like the real parent who comes in and says, that's going to ruin your dinner and you need some calories that aren't empty calories. So I don't know why we can't allow God to have the same same permission to have both a tender and hard side to his love, but it's because he loves us so much. He's our greatest cheerleader. He wants our best life. The last thing I want to say is this, as I wrap up, another lie that Christians tend to believe, God, God will give us everything we want, particularly if we pray hard enough. God will give us everything we want. No, that's not true. You know that's not true. Sometimes, we'll, sometimes God will give us everything we need, but most of the time God will never give us everything we want because God is more concerned about our holiness than he is our happiness. God wants to, he wants our best life now and in the world to come. So that, mean God, that means God wants to grow us up into the image of Jesus Christ. He will meddle in our lives. He will mold us and make us and interfere in our lives and interrupt our lives until we become like Jesus Christ.
For most of us, that'll be after we step on the other side. But that's what God wants out of us. When God wants to give us the best life now, it's a life of Christ-likeness. God wants us to turn our pain into power. He doesn't want to take our pain away from us in life. So, God wants the best life for us now, both in this world and in the world to come. But, but that means becoming more Christ-like. That means living into the life that God has called us to live. That means getting us to that place where we can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And God wants to do that for us. And most of the time, we don't have enough sense to get out of the way and let God do God's work in our lives. Let me close with this, because I know that every time I've said in the last few moments, God wants our best life for us now and in the world to come. You may be thinking about a popular preacher today that's all over the television. He's written a lot of popular books, and his most famous book is Your Best Life Now. Well, there's not much I like about that preacher. Um, maybe, you know, a dose of him about once every six months is okay to keep us thinking positively. But here's, here's my big disagreement with him. Well, one, God wants your best life in the world to come. Not now. But you notice I've said God does want your best life now and in the world to come. Where I would disagree with that popular preacher that many of you know who shall remain nameless is that he and I would disagree on the meaning of the word best. Being someone who's deeply devoted to the Bible and Christian tradition, best means like Jesus. When I read his stuff and I hear his sermons, sometimes best sounds a little too close to the American dream for me. Nothing wrong with the American dream, but that's not necessarily God's best life for us now and in the world to come. So we have to allow the truth of God. We have to allow the mind of Christ to take over in our lives. We have to get out of the way and, and make sure we're formed to be more like Christ rather than formed to be more like the world. We have to let the spirit of truth guide us more than perhaps the spirit of the age around us guide us. We, we need, and the only place I know to go to find out what we can expect from God, what we can expect from life now, is the Bible. I have to go there. That's where I learn what to expect from God, what to expect from life. And one of the things I know about expectations, if they're unrealistic expectations, you need to let go of them. You need to learn how to not think that way. Now, if they are the things that God has told us to expect, like all those promises of God's Word, expect those things with everything within you. Have the faith to expect what God wants you to expect. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Expect that life. Faithfully try to receive that life and try to rid all the lies that we love to believe. Amen.